Romans chapter 12. Today is going to be a beautiful day. Three people preached. Haba. It's a beautiful day. And I know God wants to bless us. You know, say, I don't go agree. The other ones, if nobody say, we're not for the way things are, I probably will not have arranged it like that. So, you said, all right, bank, I'll make you sit down. You are going to give your wife and my elder John the opportunity to release the spirit that I placed upon them for today. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, he said, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He said, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The verse, first verse is the reason why I read this. He said, therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. He said, this is your spiritual service of what? Worship. That's your true worship. Now, quickly, let's go to the book of John again. Let's go to the book of John chapter 4. The book of John chapter 4. You know the story? So, for time's sake, I'll just quickly get down to the most important verse there for today's teaching. Or, okay, just the most important segment. Uh, this woman, Jesus encountered her by the well, a story we all know. And then he said, um, let me, I'm trying to jump down so as to save time. The woman asked a question in verse um, 19. He says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So I have a question. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He said, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshippers. He said, God is spirit, which means that God is a spiritual being. That is, God is not physical. Just look at that word, physical, spirit, as the opposite of the word physical. All right? He said, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, that's what I want to read from there. Now, we're talking about the fact that we must worship. Let me just remind us again that worship is the means to an end. It is not the end in itself. Sometimes we are told that we are created to worship God. No, I've said this beyond that. We are created to become exactly like him. But worship is the means by which we fulfill the purpose of God for our creation. If you are not worshipping God, you will become like somebody else. The truth is that you must worship. You don't have a choice. You must worship. All right? You must worship. If you worship false gods, you will become like them. And as a matter of fact, God has decreed that the day will come that he will judge all the false gods on this earth. All right? The criterion is very simple. The gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. That's the criterion. Once you are not the one that made the heaven, no matter the name you call yourself, no matter how big you think you are, once you are not the one that made the heavens and the earth, you will perish from the surface of the earth and from under the heavens. And anyone who's like you is going with you. Anyone who's following you is going with you. The only way to be preserved in the day of judgment is not to be attached to those gods. 
It's a law of God. You must understand God has placed some things. He has established some things as fundamental to the existence of this universe. The law is that no matter how much, how big you think you are, every, listen to this, everybody has a day of reckoning. Everybody, everybody, every being, spirit, so that is angels, demons, so, God, so, politicians, so, presidents, so, husbands, so, wives, so, children, whatever you are, once you have a, a mind, once you're a living being, you have a day of reckoning. I hope you're getting my point. Even people are worshipping you, you have a day of reckoning. Again, the main criterion, if you did not make the heavens and the earth, you will perish from the earth and from another the heavens. No matter how big the religion is, whoever it is they are serving has a day of reckoning. Another the interesting part, you know who the judge is? Jesus. He's a judge of the living and the dead. The father judges no one. He has committed all judgment to the son. Now, the way we will be preserved in the day of judgment is to ensure that when he's wiping away the gods from this earth, make sure that you are not attached to them. That's the principle. You will see that he said, depart from me and go to the to hell that was created for whom? The devil and his angels. Why was God sending human beings to a hell he created for the devil and his angels? He forgot? He got confused? No. It's just that anyone that's like them is going with them. Even though he created the hell, a hell for the devil and his angels, anyone they managed to persuade to walk with them will follow them. It's called walk with me. I hope I get my point. Wherever I'm going, if I'm going to hell, you walk with me, we get to a hellfire. So if you don't want to go to hell, don't walk with the devil. If you don't want to go to hell, don't walk with demons. Don't walk with evil spirits. So why do we worship? To become exactly what God created us to be. Why do we worship? So that we will not become like other gods, but become like the sun. Uh, we said from the beginning that was the aim. The image of the sun. When he said, let us make man in what? Our image. He said the sun is the image of the invisible God. Is that not what he said? So we are being made in the image of Christ. So the only way to fulfill that purpose is to worship Christ. Is to worship the Son and the Father. That's the only way. There's no other way. When he made man and made that clay, we said that clay was just a mold, a template. It was to form the, the, the real ultimate. Let us make man. When God said, let's do something, it's a process. Don't assume that. Boom. No, what you saw at the beginning was the first stage of making man in his image. People think Satan now came and corrupted the image of God that Adam was. Adam had not made it yet. I hope you're getting my point. Like Oswald Chambers we say, he was supposed to go through a process of transformation. After God made Adam, Adam was supposed to deliberately become transformed. God, God doesn't force people. He gives you the options. Adam was supposed to deliberately become transformed into the exact image of the son. How was he going to do it? Oswald Chambers said it was by laying down his own life, laying down his own desires, laying down his own you know, thoughts, laying down everything about himself. We see preaching like that. It's a process of continual dying that the life of Christ may be manifested in him. When he ate of the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
What was he doing? He was saying, no. Let me experiment and decide by myself. That's essentially what Satan was offering them. Satan was trying to trick them so that they would never make it into the image of the sun. And just by the way, in the world today, let's see, what I'm preaching is that we must worship. Okay, I'm just revising what I've been saying. The world today is trying to ensure we don't worship by making sure we worship something else. Because you must worship. You know, I keep on saying it. There's no option. You must worship. See, all the things they're promoting the world today, eh? They are forms of worship. Please read my book, Worship and Sex Control. Sexual immorality is a form of worship. It's a form of worship, oh, please, oh, it's a form of worship. It's not just indulging of the flesh, it is a form of worship. Please, I'm begging everybody, read that book, Worship and Sex Control. Just go to our, our website, pastor.ng. Go to the book section. Just download it. It's free to download. We're not charging anything if you're downloading it. You don't need to pay if you, are, you want the paper copy. You pay the cost. So that we can print another one. <laughs> but the download doesn't cost us anything to hang it there, so go and collect it free. It's a form of worship. It's a form of worship. Bribery and corruption is worship. Did you hear what I said? Bribery is a form of worship. It's, a, it's worship. Christians, you know, you see sometimes Christians be asking questions like, uh, where did the Bible say we can't do this? You know, sometimes there are questions I don't argue with people over. I just feel like where I'm facing, you are not facing that direction. If, as a Christian, you are still trying to find out where did the Bible say we should not. Have you ever heard this argument before? Monogamy is only for Dickens. That Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus. The deacon, the bishop, the overseer must be what? A husband of one wife. So if you, are, if you don't, that's the only thing, once you marry two wives, all right, then you will not be a deacon, but you should be a church member. For those who don't have the answer to that yet, please let me digress for like three minutes and explain it. You know, you keep on teaching people things. Paul never said a deacon must be a husband of one wife, as in monogamy is for deacons. Then the rest of the church, you don't have to be. Once you're not aspiring to be a deacon, he never said so. The Greek, literally, they don't have a different word for husband and wife as against man and woman. It's the same word. So when they say husband, the same word as man. So it's in context you will know. When it says wives, be subject to your own husbands. It's like saying women, be subject to your own men. So you immediately understand the context. You understand when they say the two shall become one. You understand the context. All right? So when it says you should be a man, a husband of one wife, what he said is that it should be what? A man of one woman. He was addressing sexual immorality. He was not addressing the order of marriage. Do you hear what I said? He was not addressing um, um, marriage that was different between monogamy and polygamy. No. He was saying the deacon must be a man who does not chase women. Just like he said, he must be a man not given to wine. He must be a man that has a good reputation outside. It must be a man that can take care of his household. So he was supposed to be an exemplary person. He did not give the deacon and the overseer a set of rules different from the rest of the church. He never did that. What he said is that these are the rules for everybody. But deacons must be what? Examples. And he told Timothy, let no one despise their youth, but be what? An example. So Timothy was supposed to be an example. So all the rules he gave, come on. Let's not be ridiculous. Let's not be stupid. 
apply to everybody. Otherwise, if you said that it only applies to Dickens, if you're husband of one wife, which means that the rest of us should be grieving to wine. The rest of us should have bad reputation outside. The rest of us should be dishonest. The rest of us should not take care of our households. What he was just saying is that the deacon must be an example of what we are preaching. There's a church we used to go when I was young. And the preacher had them, um, they, they, they used to preach, all right, in Yoruba language, that is, where they could do English or any, anyone, okay? So they used to preach in both languages. So if the preacher is speaking in English, they will have an interpreter in the, um, the uh, native language. Anyway, so there was this, there's this man who used to preach very well. He preached in both, but he used to preach in Yoruba. They will have an interpreter into English. He had one interpreter that was fantastic. Before we finished saying it, interpreter had finished it. That one will copy his mannerism, you know. As the man is preaching, he's preaching back at the man. So we enjoyed his interpretation. He used to return very well. But he had another guy who was also good, but was not very good. He stuttered over his words. He'd made mistakes. He paused. He sometimes had to say what he said again. He caused a drag in the flow of this preacher. So one day that man visited us in the house. So he and my mom were speaking. I was present. And so it's just said, ah, daddy, why don't you use the other interpreter? He's very good. This man that you, and okay, now this main preacher, he liked the second man. Almost every time he's preaching, if he's preaching in Yoruba, this man will be the one interpreting for him. So the rest of all, you know, of course, we were very young, like, ah, why are they not using, and you can see the other man is in the congregation. That they came to our house. My mom now picked up the matter. Good, I said, ah, daddy, why don't you use the other man? That his, in, his ability when it comes to interpreting this gospel is fantastic. It's as if she wanted to prove to him that this one is better. And the man knew. Then he now says something that, you know, I was a little boy, it was shocking to me, never heard it before. He said that, no, these are spiritual issues. And that the reason why they cannot put that man on the stage all the time is that he has a very bad marriage. That all his, uh, he can interpret is his problem. Until he fixes his problem at home, he can't climb that pulpit. Are you getting it? So when Paul said, he must be a man of one woman, he wasn't talking about that's the rule for Christians alone. He was saying that the deacons must be what? Exemplary. That their lives must be something that others will look up to. They are supposed to be examples for the rest of the church. That's what he was saying. The truth is this, okay? If you are always on that edge, that's what I'm trying to emphasize. Trying to find what is permissible. Then you've gotten the focus wrong. You've gotten the focus wrong. So if you are the type that still argue on whether you should do something or not do it, I feel like you don't get the point. You don't get the point. You should be striving for something. It shows you are not striving. You're just trying to manage to get by. You're not striving. I teach students and I tell them, see, don't just try to pass. Try to know. Uh, which one will you set in the exam? This type does not come out in the exam. It's a wrong attitude for a student. Your desire must be to be excellent. Your desire must be to know. It's not as if we were to give you the, 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 the questions ahead so you can pass, you will be happy. No, it shouldn't make you happy. You shouldn't pass and not know the subject and glory only in passing. The focus for you as a student must be how do I fill my head with knowledge? How do I know enough to be able to impact my environment and my society? That should be your focus, not I want to pass. In the same manner as believers, our focus must not be, let me just get by. What is commanded, what is not commanded? What's God likely to send me to hell for? You are getting what I'm going to say here. 
That those are the things we must not, you know, those who really have the focus, like Paul, you see the kind of choices they used to make. There's what they call any weight. Any, any, is it, lay aside what? Any weight. And sin that does easily be said. Anything that, now when he says weight, what it means, the concept, what Paul was saying that we have a race. Have you seen the way Olympic runners run? They carry as little weight as possible. Do you know the, the material, you know, of course, you see, um, the way the women dress is so, in quote, indecent. In quote, in quote, and I'm saying it's, you know, but you don't notice because it's sports. You are so used to it. But they wear next to nothing. They wear one tiny pattern like this. All right? Well, they, 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 you know, brother will just hug, their, just, it's as if they just painted their body in that area. Why? They will have to win. Every little thing counts. Those materials, that skimpy material they wear, do you know the material is specially designed to reduce what they call drag? Once I saw the training of these guys that ski, they, to show, <laughs> that, way, that day I was, I was impressed. They stand on the, in a wind tunnel, stand on something that measures the amount of pressure that they are exerting forward and backwards. And then they start blowing the wind. So they are measuring. So do you know the guy is taught where to put his finger. Every moment of, uh, movement of the finger reflects in the reading gauge. You have increased resistance. Fold that finger back. You can't put your elbow there. Put it in here. That's how they train the Why the wind is blasting in his face. Because winning and losing is usually zero point. That like a fraction of a second between the winner and the person next in line. For that reason, in the days of Paul, Olympic runners, only men ran stark naked. We don't know that. <laughs> now they wear something. Those days, they ran naked. <laughs> they ran naked. Because they didn't have anything that wouldn't create resistance. Now we have technology. That was what Paul was saying when he said you should lay aside every weight. Because you have a goal in front of you. You are running towards something. It's not about, you know, people, if you are still worried about sin or no sin, you haven't gotten the point. You haven't gotten the point. You should be on a place where you have, you, even the things that are legitimate, they are not sins, you drop them. They're not wrong, you drop them. Paul says something that was very interesting. Some of the things, Paul, the way Paul lived there. The way Paul lived there. If you had a wife, you couldn't follow him on missions. And there's nothing wrong with marrying. And he said it clearly that Peter was married. He made it clear James was married. And he said, are we the only ones that don't have a right? He said, we have a right. He said, look, but we consider that a man that has a wife has to concern himself with his home issues. There was no words I remember. There was no telephone. There was no way of telling your wife we have reached trust successfully. There was no way to write, like I say, okay, by the time she's getting the mail, you've already left trust. Who wants a husband that you'll be wondering whether they have beheaded, beheaded him or they have not beheaded him? So he judged voluntarily. He said, the rule is that if I'm preaching to you, listen, <laughs> if pastors do this, we'll, we'll, we'll criticize them. He said, but it's the law of God. When I finish preaching, I should put a basket outside. That if I bless you today, put something inside as you are going. 
That's the law. That's the, I'm not, look, he said, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that is stretching out the wheat. Some people like to criticize pastors. I don't answer them. You don't just leave this thing. You don't know. He said, that law was not written for animals. It was written for the messengers of God, ministers of the gospel. I'm allowed by God to send a mail out to everybody who listens to us, put on our website. Please, my car is old. I need to replace it. If I've been a blessing to you, this is the account number. And I'm not supposed to be ashamed of it. Those who don't listen to me can do their notes like this. If you listen to me and do your own like this, that nose won't come down. <laughs> As you do it like this, you will hang there. God will say to you, when he was preaching, he didn't know he would eat. Say, Pastor Mark, why did you do it? Okay, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about Paul. Paul said, why don't I do it? He said, this is how he said it. He said, for me to preach the gospel does not need any credit. There's nothing like, oh boy, you try. That's what Paul said. He said, doesn't need any... He said, there's no commendation if I preach the gospel. He said, why? Because necessity is laid upon me. It's like you coming to thank me for breathing this morning. Say, Pastor Banke, I heard you had breakfast. The Lord will bless you. As you are eating, continue eating now. Now, look at you like, excuse me. Is it me you are talking to? Are you all right? How's my eating breakfast blessing you? If I eat, it's my business. I hope you're getting my point. Paul said, if I preach, that's how it is. It was dragging from somebody like um, Jeremiah. If I say I will not preach, he said the word becomes like what? Fire locked up in my bones. That is the pressure in my bones is so intense. I get relief from preaching. So Paul said, to me, for me to be preaching is not commendable. It is something I must do. He said, what is it that is commendable? He said, when I go beyond the ordinary in doing it. He said, that is the only time you can start saying, Brother Paul, you try. He said, what is it there? Then, how do I go about that? He said, I offer it without any cost. So instead of demanding that the church in Ephesus will support me, I say, no, don't worry yourself. And they say, okay, let us take an offering from that. Paul said, no, 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 sorry, no, I don't want you to do that. So what are you going to eat? He said, Timothy is selling tent. When he comes back, he will have enough money for us to eat. And they tra- Paul said, no, he refused. Everywhere he went, listen, you didn't try that with Peter. Peter didn't, no, I'm not, I needed to say that for you to understand that. We're not saying the opposite is wrong. Or the other one is wrong. Peter didn't do that. Where did he hear that Peter fished for anything? After Jesus came back and told him, feed my sheep. He never did that. James didn't. They understood the law. They understood the order. But they were not apostles to the Gentiles. I hope you are getting what I'm saying. For you to know that Paul knew it was right. When the Philippians did it. He told them, nobody, of all the people are preaching, he said, no, you are the only ones that are doing this. I'm bringing something here. You see that Paul, he, he endured many things so that he would not constitute or nothing, even though right, nothing will constitute a hindrance to the advancement of the gospel that had been committed into his hands. What am I going to emphasize? Someone told me, I tell you that, hey, where the Bible says we can't do this. You just, I don't argue with such people because they are not facing my direction. They don't have my purpose, my kind of purpose at heart. There was something that, um, that um, 
I think it was Akindo that you put it on your the, the DP. You know, from from um, what is the guy's name now? John Graham Lake. Thank you, John G Lake. I saw it that day. I'd seen it before. Of course, I read m- most of his materials. All right, but then when I saw, it, I said, I, I remember that thing again, and I noted it. He said, Look, that there's a world of suffering out there. That people are suffering. I've forgotten the exact words. He said, what do you need to do? He said, look, do what is necessary. He used his own words. Pay the price to download the power of God so he can minister to a suffering world. That this is not about what is comfortable for me. He says, I was going to heal the sick. Like we're praying today. When we had the crisis that, that, that happened in Sokoto, when I got phone calls, you know, we have friends there. I've started making calls immediately. And during the call, there was our prayer. I said, listen, the normal Christian prayer is, die. Everybody involved in the death of that young woman, in the name of, begin to die, begin to die. Now, that, I say everybody involved in the death of Stephen, if they had died, there will, no, there will have been no book of Ephesians. So we say, okay, let us retaliate. What's our retaliation? Amongst those who killed that girl, Paul will arise. Amen. From amongst them, Paul will arise. Yes. Somebody one day, you will hear it. He will give a testimony. That I remember this guy that was killed in May 2022 because he supposedly blasphemed the prophet. It was all that, you know. I was one of them. And when that fellow will be preaching, you will have gathered your whole family to come and hear him preach. You will see him lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. You will forgive him of everything the way you forgive Paul. You have to remind people that Paul had the hand in Stephen's death. Like somebody said, he said, why do they react like that? Said they are afraid. It's fear. Fear of Christianity. So I said, okay, let's retaliate. What is the fear? That Christianity that you fear will take over that land. Amen. That's what we want. I don't want anybody to die. Why should you die when you can preach? Will your dead body preach? We forgive you. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. My wife was saying, how can somebody? I said, no, you don't understand. These people are possessed at that moment. We will not ask God to kill you for what an evil spirit that possessed you made you do. Unless you refuse to repent. So Lord, this is how we want retaliation. The gospel that they don't want to come, let it come plenty. Those who fought so that that gospel will not come, they will preach that same gospel. The testimony will be like that of Paul. That everywhere they heard, that the same one who fought the way He's now preaching the truth he fought. And what did he say? And many gave glory to God because of me. If Paul had died, what's the big deal? God knows how to kill people. There's nobody that can kill somebody on this earth like God. People say the devil. I said the devil does not know. He's, a, he's, he's not even a good apprentice when it comes to killing. If God wants to kill, it's so easy. The Bible says he withdraws his spirit. What happens? They expire. <laughs> He doesn't have to even carry his sword. He just withdraws his spirit. That's the end of it. They're all dead. When he wants to show his glory, he says, you killed Stephen, eh? So, no wahala. Everything Stephen was supposed to do, you will do. So, did you understand? He said, relax. I could have stopped from killing Stephen. But I checked it. I said, the grain of wheat dies. He advised it low. I said, how can I amplify the spirit of Stephen? I let him die. Oh, I don't want to go into teaching that one now. It's the way God, God sets people up to be powerful intercessors. 
No, listen, God, when he wants you to pray about something, it's usually the place where you have been injured. It's deliberate. It's to make your prayer, what the Bible calls, effective, heartfelt, continued. There's a way it is. Don't let me sit on that. But why would I go into all of this? Okay? So let's understand that when some people are talking about, uh, is this right, is this not right, where did God say we can't do it? I say, you are still trying to indulge the flesh and looking for excuses. There's no need to argue with you. Like John G. Lake said, do you realize there are sick people out there? Do you realize you need to take the power of God to Sokoto? That's why I went to do that. To go and overturn all the fights of the Islamists. Do you know you need the power of God to walk in your life the way it worked in the life of Samuel? That the Philistines gathered and Samuel said, don't worry. Let's finish our sacrifice. <laughs> we have something we are doing. And Israel stood still. And Samuel prayed and God began to thunder against the Philistines. Do you know such power is still available to you today? So, John G. Lake said, why don't you do what is necessary to download that power? Instead of trying to live life so that you don't go to hell. Instead of arguing that is this right, is this not right, what is the right say you can't do it? The question is, is this going to download the power of God or it will not? That should be your question. Will this bring the power of God into this generation or it will not? If it won't, why am I involving myself in it? Why am I wasting my time? No matter how good you think you are in time management, you have only 24 hours. In that 24 hours, you must sleep. You must do many things. So you shave off every little thing that will not allow you to advance on a particular course. To advance in a particular direction. You have heard me say it before. For me, one of the things that I don't want is like, this life is over. And God nationally said, thank you, you were supposed to reach level 100 in the discharge of the work of God. You try, Sha. You reach level, listen to this, you, you reach 99. That 1% for me is a problem. So every day I ask God, so what is the problem? I mean, what, what is it? What is it? You know, when Jesus said some people made themselves eunuch for the, king, for the kingdom's sake, you know, I used to wonder, say, ah, how can God come back and castrate himself? What is God going to gain in it? Now I'm older, and I realize that, no, it's very reasonable. When Jesus said, your eye makes you stumble, remove it, he wasn't joking. So there are people that decide that, listen, that not being you not is making them stumble. And they volunteer. And Jesus, you know, Jesus, he commended it to. That there's something they are looking for. What am I going to say? I looked at it and I said, no. I, in that area, I said, God, I don't want the issue to be it. Uh, suddenly just die. And there are five or six extra books you're supposed to write for people to be blessed. No. My own desire is that one day I will look and the Holy Spirit will make it clear. Or the Lord will appear to me and make it clear that all the messages ordained for you to preach, you have finished preaching them. Everything has been well documented. Anyone who doesn't want to believe now, their blood is not in your hands. So now say, what are you doing? And I say, no, you have anointed through your instruction Sometimes through laying on of hands, you have anointed enough people to carry this message to another level. Just like Jesus left it for 12. So in the same manner, you can leave it now. Then I take a piece of paper and I write a message. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Are you getting my point? I write like Paul did. That's, that's my own prayer. And anything that will not allow that, God please reveal it so that we can drop it. Not trying to read scripture to find out whether Paul said that uh, 
Is it, uh, is it it's only deacons? Are you not even ashamed of yourself? You want to go to church and never be a deacon. The Bible does not say that if anybody has passed to that position, he desires a good work. You want to go to the church and not be... To be a deacon is not a big deal. It just means that you will be the head of finance committee. You will be the head of building committee. You will be the head of follow-up. You will be the head of um, sinking committee. You will be head of intercession. You will be the head of you know, sanctuary keepers that they keep them. You, they just put a job in your hand. So you want to go to church and they cannot put any responsibility in your hand. Because every Christian, you're not ashamed of yourself. Because you want a second wife. People will be arguing foolish arguments because they want to indulge the flesh. They don't start believing. <laughs> now, let me just tell you the truth. That's why some of these doctrines you hear. I said it before. Doctrines, people don't believe the truth because of letters are accurate or not accurate. It's because their heart is right or not right. It's very easy for you to believe once they've always saved when you can't leave women alone. And I'll be defending because the guy knows where they go every Friday. He knows his life is not straight. You know, if you lend him money, he will never repay. He knows if he buys something from you only, he will not, he, he will say, he will find one reason not to pay you. He knows he steals. He knows now. And I start preaching, doesn't matter, we're not saved by our works, so we cannot be condemned by our works. Listen, forget all the letters, all these scriptures they are bringing out. The guy is a bloody fornicator. Let him stop first, then we can discuss doctrine. He hasn't stopped, he's analyzing scripture. Even if Holy Spirit wanted to tell him, he can't hear it. And he's a kind of person that his conscience will be hardened and then one day will become an apostate. And indeed, the Lord will throw him into the lake of fire. That's the problem. People don't set their minds on the things that are important. <laughs> and I become arguing doctrine with you. What am I going to say? Back to the, where we began from. We worship because we are trying to become what? Something. And you can't help it. You must worship. So if you don't want to worship a false god, you worship a true one. Or the true one. That's the only way it works. And what am I teaching in this regard, which is why we read this Roman chapter, that's why I've been trying to get it for some time. See, there are things that are expressions of worship. I've thought about this. In fact, I took time out last week to go through all the different, um, you know, verses of scripture, uh, words in scripture that are used to describe worship. And I'm not going to go into detail about that. I have a long list of them. Those who like to speak Greek, no, I won't teach you Greek today. There are so many of them. The most common Greek word, it means, you know, literally it means to kiss the hand, as in hand of a superior. I read all of that. We're not going to analyze them. That's not the thing I'm doing here. Okay? But I noticed something. All of them are expressions of something. Jesus said, those who worship must worship how? In spirit and in truth. God said, listen, the expression is not the primary thing I'm looking for. The expressions come out automatically if the primary thing is there. So, when you want to worship God, you're supposed to raise your hands. I don't like to lay emphasis on that. Nothing wrong with raising hands. I don't want to lay emphasis on that, however. I mean, and I was praying with some people yesterday. I was supposed to lead the prayer where, where three, just in the office here. And the point I wanted to write, read a particular scripture, I told them, I said, I'm sorry, can I be allowed to stand? That I'm just used to reading this, standing. So I'm not saying those things are wrong. I have seen people, I'm sorry, when they're in church, when I'm in the presence of God, I just want to fall down. I just want to roll. And you see them fall down and roll. They can't tell the truth. 
when they are not falling down and rolling, they are not worshiping Jesus Christ. But once they are singing, oh, there are tears through their eyes, and they fall down for ground, they will bow their head and roll. Ah, Jesus. After our service, say all the worship, that's where it ended. Can I say this? That worship was not acceptable. It was not acceptable before God. It wasn't. Please, again, let me recommend, read my book, Worship and Sex Control. In it, I wrote especially to preachers in that segment. Now, not to preachers, you don't everybody, every Christian. Except you learn, like Paul said, writing to the Thessalonians, that each one must learn to possess his body. How did he say it again? I'm talking about, this is the will of God concerning you, your sanctification. That you all do what? Depart from sexual immorality, and that each one must learn to possess his body in sanctification and honor, not like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, when Paul said that, hmm, he was saying something here. How was he saying? In that book, I wrote it. That you cannot offer true sacrifices with dirty vessels. So Paul made it clear that this is the will of God concerning you. So I say to ministers of the gospel, because I see a lot of nonsense. You can't say you are preaching for Christ when you are sleeping with church members who are not your wives. What's wrong with you? I think you sit down and not come near the pulpit for a while. Because you cannot offer real sacrifices with dirty vessels. You cannot make yourself one with a hard lot. Like Paul said, as it is written, the two of them shall become one flesh. He said, how can you take the body of Christ and make it one with a hard lot? And you come back and be preaching. You want to die young? Because Jesus will judge those things. So. When I call some pastors from prophets, false prophets, let me say it again. There are two kinds of false prophets. There are some that are never Christians. They are not, look. They just came to do na job, na runs. They came to church. That it makes money. They saw one young pastor at the church three years later. He has built a house. So they came to do their own. There are people like that. I know one in this town. That boy with baby face. It's like that. You all know him. That's one group. There's a second group, which are false prophets. They will actually give their life to Christ at a time. Maybe they were even called to ministry. But you know, many of them have joined themselves to Baal of Pure to be able to advance their ministries. And that Baal that they have joined themselves to has this notorious habit of making them adulterers. Yes. It's notorious. Very notorious. In fact, my money is like that. That's how my money is. What am I going to say? So it's people who can worship, they can do anything for God. You know, Paul talked about the principle of love. If I give myself to be bond, but have not love, I do what? I profit nothing. Let's take it the other way. Love for God. Jesus said, if a man loves me, he will do what? He will keep my word. So no matter the sacrifice somebody supposedly is making in the course of ministry, if it's not obeying the rudimentary words of God, the sacrifices are not acceptable. Oh, they are not. Oh. I wrote in that book, Watching Myself Control. You know something? We don't talk about it. But these are important issues. Very, very, very crucial. In the church, they have just you know, skimmed it over. Okay, I will tell some stories. 
One day I heard it. The person telling me said, I will not tell you the name of the person. I said, please don't. Because she, she, the person, the, the lady, one of her sisters, she knew I knew the person. That is a big name in the society. Especially in this part of the country. Big church, big everything. When he described the kind of thing the guy was doing, I said, and this guy will still be, he didn't tell me the name, but it's the kind of person that will probably be an, a bishop, an archbishop, a general overseer or something, a big denomination, and trap young girls in the church, daughters of dickens and dickinesses. Not for one day, not for two days. We're talking about for years. And the guy said, oh, God, I'm tired, I'm going. He said, no, if you go, I will curse you. Yes? He said, Banky, I won't tell you the person. I said, please don't. I don't want to know. Let me not go and shoot somebody. Because if I knew the name, if the guy brings out the hand to show, hey, young man, how are you? I would say, okay, I'm sorry, I can't shake your hand. So let me not know. Let me be able to shake hands in no sense. What am I trying to say? A lot of times, the, you know, the expressions of worship very, is, is, is easy. It's easy. Listen, people don't realize, you see, this 10% giving thing, it makes me laugh. And I will say it again, I laugh. Yeah, my question was very tight, I don't believe it. I think it's cheap. I think it's an easy way out for sinners. You give God 10%, I'm free with 90. That's my problem with it in diarrhea. It's an easy way. That's why politicians can tight. Drug addicts can, uh, the drug dealers can tight. But they can't live for God. Because sometimes what the Lord requires of you is drop that source of money. I don't want you to have that income anymore. I was still listening to David Paulson a few days ago. Told a story, I've heard him teach, I've heard it from him before, but I was reminded about a man who was ministering in the UK, pastoring the church, doing wonderful work. He did not take his salary from the church. Do you know why? He inherited big money from his parents. So his parents left a good estate for him, so he was getting good money. He didn't need the church money, so it was okay. All right? He was doing very, very fine. Then one day the Holy Spirit woke him up. Give you all your inheritance. Give away everything. And you're like, what? It was clear it was a word from heaven. Not only will you give away everything, you will not tell anybody. And you will not start taking salary from the church. We're talking tight in here. He didn't steal money. His father left him a good estate. Left him investments. And was yielding enough that he didn't need to depend on anybody. So the guy liquidated everything. And gave everything away. Didn't tell anybody. Those who knew him before, who knew what was going on, did not know things had changed. No, there's a way in which they say, ha, he doesn't need money. So let's not give to him. When he began to need it, they did not know. And it was forbidden by the Lord to say. So he kept on ministering for years. And the Lord was taking care of him. The Lord was sustaining him. How? He didn't give us details, but whichever way God will bring money to him, he he was just sustained. Nobody being from outside knew what he was going through. How he now in You know the way we say he now had to literally live by faith. The few years down the line, if you know the way the UK system is, churches are treated as what they call um like is it charity? Uh, eh? No, it's non-profit, but they say what they use for them, it's charity something. Anyway, we anyway, you know the charity, charitable trust, whatever. Are you, you getting my point? So what they do, the government there does actually, they subsidize your activities. So they can decide that, okay, your budget in a year is 500,000 pounds. 
that the government will give you 150,000 pounds. So they take tax money and give to you. It's part of it because they believe that you're a charity. You're rendering service to the public, which is not a lie. But many preachers don't believe you take their money. Okay, but many churches do. So one day they said, is he a lesbian or one of those clubs needed to do a function and they wanted, they wanted to use the church? So he being the pastor said, no, it's against our rules. We have biblical principles we operate by so those people cannot be seen using our premises. We love them as individuals, but you're not coming to have a lesbian club doing party on church premises. So the council said that is against the law because you are a charitable organization and government, of course, either pays the piper, dictates the tune. This pastor said, no, we are first of all the church before we are a charitable something. They said, in that case, we will withdraw your support. And it was big money, heavy money, that they were using to do a lot of the, you know, the charitable things they were doing. Okay, you know, feed the poor, take care of people, do a lot of things. So he gathered the church together, the elders of the church, and allowed them to hear the whole thing. This is what is going on. So what do we do? And of course, some will say, let's be wise. Their meeting here does not mean we agree with them. It's even an opportunity to reach out to them. You know this kind of thing? When we want to compromise, we start looking for stories to tell. And all those arguments don't matter. Compromise is in our heart already. You know how he solved it? For the first time, he broke the news to them. That I sold my inheritance long ago for this number of years. And I've not been on salary in this church. Everybody was shocked. That was not where I was going. Where I was going to say, but the Lord has taken care of me. So that same God will take care of us. That strengthened the faith of the people. So they basically told the council, go to blazes. We will not agree. So those ones withdrew their funding. And guess what happened? Nothing changed in their lives. Nothing. The church continued doing what it was doing. The Lord continued. In fact, they realized that we didn't, we didn't even need this government in the first place. I'm not going to emphasize the fact that why well, I mean I don't understand the you give God. No. There are times God will, there are times God will collect everything. Because he says something. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. He is one God. And thou shalt serve the Lord thy God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your might. What am I trying to say? It is not true worship, except it takes the whole of our being, spirit, soul, and body. Expressions of worship are outside. First of all, true worship is in the spirit. That's why he said, those that worship him must worship him, how? In spirit and in truth. Please get it. When you use the word spirit in scripture, what is he talking about? The word spirit has been, of course, he has a lot of uses in the Bible. We know spirit means a part of the human being. Paul wrote it like this. The Lord will keep your spirit, soul, and body sanctified unto unto that day. So we know we have three parts to us. We have this body outside. The main person is the soul. You know, people say it's your spirit. No. Paul says, no, the real man is the spirit. (laughs) No. If you read his use of it in scripture. What you call soul, really, is the real person. The spirit is a part of him. I hope you're getting my point. That's why Paul will tell you, my spirit, my body, you know, it distinguishes that. So that's why you hear the Bible talking about souls were saved. 
The word soul is what the Bible often uses to describe the, 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 the real person. Okay? So we know there's a spirit in all of us. So that's one part of the use of the word spirit. Sometimes the word spirit is used to describe the Holy Spirit, who Jesus called the helper that God will send. It's used. It's used to discuss and describe angels. Even the, word, the, the principle love is called spirit. When Paul said, walk by the spirit of the law, he was talking about love. Galatians chapter 5. But spirit is also used, okay, in scripture to describe the substance of, let me use the word spiritual existence. God is spirit. That God's substance is what you call spirit. So just like you have air, there's, a, there's something called spirit. So it can blow. That's what causes confusion. Sometimes people say that the Holy Spirit is not a person. It's a force. You know, they mix the word spirit too much. That force can be holy. So the Bible calls it as such times, Holy Spirit, as against what? Evil spirit. But that is not the Holy Spirit. When the Bible uses the word the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the helper, who we call the third person in the Godhead. And it's not a lie, it's the truth. Because it's a helper just like Jesus was. Replacing Jesus when Jesus will go away. So that's usually described with a definitive article, death. But without the definitive article, it can just mean spirit that is holy. So why are you doing what you are doing? That's another reason. Another use of the word. When you have a, that is once whatever you are doing is being pushed by something. I hope you're getting my point. An impulse. So let me try and, you know, summarize it so you don't get confused. One use of the word spirit, okay? is what is pushing you in life. What is the motivation behind everything you are doing? When you hear that the spirit of a man will bear his infirmity, that's what he said. The way I like to explain that is that somebody is playing football. He has one thing in mind. What is it? Glory. Goal. The Bible is what glory for such things. The glory of victory. He has one thing in mind. We must score that goal. We must defeat our opponents. We must get, you know, that's what he has in mind. So the Bible calls it what? The spirit of a man. He said, we bear his infirmity. Solomon was telling us. What does that mean? Watch that football. As that man is running, I, always, I used to use this man as my illustration. Um, Roberto Carlos, you know, I stopped watching much when some of you were not yet born. At least Akinu was not born when I stopped watching football. So when I see some of you, I know some. I was there when they were born. Some of you are a little older than him. You were not born. I stopped watching football long. I used to watch football too. You know why I start watching football? I can't stand um, the tension if my team is playing. And I can't stand the loss. If we lose, I may shoot somebody. So let me just... <laughs> anyway, one of my favorite footballers those days was Roberto Carlos of Brazil. Roberto Carlos was a fantastic player. I like to use him to tell a story because they say he could run Olympics 100 meters. He was that good. When it, that is racing. He was a world-class 100 meters person. All he needed to do was train himself. He would do 100 meters. So those days, he crossed the ball for Roberto Carlos. He was, a, what do you call those guys who are like midfield to front? That area, now they did. Uh-huh. That is attacking. So Roberto Carlos, once you gave him the ball, don't worry, he will score. You know why? He will shoot it ahead and start running. And nobody in the world could catch him. <laughs> and he had such a powerful shot that he was used to advertise Pepsi. That his shot was used to advertise Pepsi. The guy gave, you know, used his instep, give one shot like this. The thing turned to a fireball. Go keep out, go run. 
Now, why I'd like to test it over, but color is that when it's running like that, at that speed, somebody gives him a stud. What happens? He falls over. What's the first thing he does? He jumps up again. Footballers never lie on the ground unless they've lost the advantage. If you don't notice them, if you clear the guy before, if it's, the goal is still open, <laughs> he will jump up and the referee will hold the whistle first. He will kick the ball. If he enters, that is it. All the infraction is forgotten. But if he can't score again, whoo, they will blow. What do you call it? Free kick. Now, why am I talking about that? When a man falls under such you know, pressure, listen, I have medical training. And he hits the ground, you get bruised. Whether you're a footballer or a housewife, and you hit the ground, you get injured. Somebody told me the story of when George Foreman fought Muhammad Ali. That's Muhammad Ali fought George Foreman. George Foreman was a champion. And he wants to knock everybody out in the first round, second round. And they found out that George, Ali's coach watched it and said, Ali can take this guy. All he needs to do is outlast a few rounds. That foreman could not go beyond the few, few rounds. So the first few rounds, Ali just covered his face and allowed foreman to punch. And foreman punched. He punched. Ali did not fall down. They said Ali went to the bathroom next morning and he had blood in his urine. Foreman had injured his kidneys. He won the match. He didn't fall down. Why? That's what I'm talking about the story. Why do they keep getting up? Because the spirit of a man will bear his infirmities. Those them in this country, there's power failure. You are not doing anything. You don't have a goal. You just came to life to enjoy. Complain, complain, complain every moment. You don't have something you are doing. The spirit of a man will bear his infirmity. When you have something, that's what the Bible calls spirit. Those is what spirit. What is pushing you? What's your drive? What's your drive? What's your drive? Someone is a worship God in spirit and in truth. What does it mean? The service and the pleasure of God must be the motivation behind everything you do. To worship God in spirit does not mean to. You know, people say, let's worship God in spirit. Listen, speaking in tongues is good, but that's not what it means. What it means that. Why are you waking up this morning? What is the reason? It must be worship. It must be the service of God. Everything you are doing must be motivated by the pleasure of God. There's the reason why he gave me life. I must serve him. I must be transformed into his image. It is said what a man gets for his labor, is the most important reward for a man's labor is not what he gets for it, but what he becomes by it. So every day I get up, two things. I want to do the will of God. I want to be transformed into the image of Christ. Like we say all, all the time when we are preaching here, when we begin, he says, I am being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing the knowledge of God. Next night, we now say, now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It's giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. I always say, most importantly, is making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. That's it. What is pushing me is the issue. When we say you worship in spirit and in truth, Christians often make it look like it means, Aha, I go into the realm of the spirit to worship. That's not what it means. It means everything you do in life, what is, it, what is motivating you? What am I saying? What does it mean to worship the Lord? 
What does it mean to worship the Lord? It means that for Christians, for us, everything we do, we're worshiping in spirit. The primary thing is the pleasure of God in everything we do. Which is the reason, again, I'm not teaching about Titan today, is the reason why the doctrine, give God 10%, has never been able to settle with me. Never. So I said, okay, when I've given him 10%, what happened to the other 90? What happened to the other 90? Who do I give it to? My wife? Who do I give it to? What we call give God 10%, it just means give church. That's why we now twist the doctrine. That uh, it means where's the, the house, the house. It's where, <laughs> all that story. Listen. It's, the, the, in our join, it, it, it doesn't add up. I don't have any problem with the church deciding, like, I can decide that kingdom word. You're not a co-worker unless you're giving us 10%. I have a friend who said church workers must give 30%. I look at him say, bro, you're strong. I know he told me that where he's going is 100%. And I agreed with him totally. There's only one problem I didn't understand. Are you going to administer 100% of the church members' resources? You're going to start a cult. If to eat, they have to come and see you. Because if I give you 100% of my income, you have to pay my children's school fees. Ah, who go pay No, who no who go pay now? If I fall sick, now you go pay for the medicine. I know a man that belongs to such an organization. Everything you tell him to do, he has to apply for the money. Yeah, no kidding about that. The organizations like that. I don't believe in that. Personally, I don't. I don't believe you can take away the responsibility of a man. That is, you make him no longer responsible for his own decisions and his own actions. No. He's going to give account of his life. If God gives him 10 million naira, he's the one that will explain how he spent it. Please don't give me 100% of your income because I can't be explaining everything you are doing. He said, I'm not to need money. God will ask me, bank it. Why? Is it good? Pascal, they'll say, you, you are broke. God will ask me, why is he broke? I said, my problem. I had to tell no, in my mind, ah, bros, you can't do that too. It's a bit too heavy for one person to carry. So I believe the 100% principle, but let God carry it. So I give him 100%, then he pays my children's school fees. He said, how do I give God 100%? It is simple. As soon as I collect the money, from the beginning I tell you 100% is your own. So how is he his own? He decides what I do with every penny. That's how it is his own. Each penny is spent according to his pleasure. Each penny is spent to please him. You know, now what I want to say will make you laugh. Have you ever heard this stupid expression before, side chick? That married men have. There's one problem I have with having a side chick. How will I manage you? Because I can't give you money. Because, and how will I give you money now? Because. It, see, it's not like I don't have money. But I can't give you. Because I have to account. Is it to my wife? Yes, but not really. It's to the Lord. I have to explain to him. God will say, that money banking was 600,000 naira. <laughs> and I'm wondering, how do I tell him? 
40,000 went to side of Kuko. They try because you no. Know, th- see, these are my own problems. Oh, okay, let me tell you the problems of a man of God. <laughs> because no, really, how do I explain it? Because as a matter of fact, I have to account for every penny. So it's not hard for my wife to find out. Say, okay, how did you spend it? I can tell her it's not hard. I won't. Have, I don't have to lie about anything. I don't have to. Sometimes even I say, how you take my no, so. God know they check your account. In my mind. Listen, let me tell you if you're a Christian, man. <laughs> you do that kind of thing. You go soon die. I'm not joking. No. You'll be crossing the road. What do you just jam you? Why? Misappropriation of heavenly funds. You know, there's misappropriation of public funds. There's heavenly funds. You, you misappropriate it. You know, let me tell you. Now, this, this, is, this is an aside. One of the greatest things I ask God, but I tell God, one of the greatest things you do for me, like give me peace of mind. Peace of mind? I love it. I crave it. I labor for it. I'm the kind of person that if I have only one car and it's always going to mechanic, I will pack it. You know what I found out? Keke hardly breaks down. And when it does, you come down. I should be a poet. I should be a poet. I just discovered my, my skills have been showing up once in a while. <laughs> it hardly breaks down. And when it does, you come down. That's it. You bought another one. Who will take you down? <laughs> That's where I am. I, I, I love this. I love peace of mind. Oh, God, you don't understand. I love peace of mind. I love peace of mind so much. Eh? I sacrifice things for, the peace of, for peace of mind. Now, why am I talking about that? So, part of my peace of mind is that my wife knows the code to open my phone. I don't know whether I has fingerprint is in this one or it used to be, okay, until I change my screen. So, in there to report, you know, so you have to put things back. So, I don't think we ended up putting that, but at least the pain, that one she has. So... If I'm, if I'm in the bathroom, the phone rings. I, who is calling? If I sometimes I joke with my wife, I say, is it my girlfriend? She will say, which one? After I explain who I'm referring to. That, that's, you know, one day my classmates said something. They, they posted a, a picture of one guy. No, a small chat, you know, a joke of, of one man who was in the mall. Okay, there was a picture there of one young, of course, seductively packaged lady. So a man walked up to her and said, please, can you just talk to me for five minutes? I need to find my wife. So the lady looked like, like, how is my talking to you going to help you find your wife? They said, don't worry, she will soon appear. <laughs> <laughs> they just talk to me for a few minutes, she go show. <laughs> so they posted and everybody was laughing about it. So I, now say, so, so I now began to think that if it was me, what would my wife do? I, I, I told them as much. I just said, this is funny. I said, but I'm just thinking, if it's my wife, she will look and say, praise God, he has company. And that's, I won't see her for the next one hour. <laughs> yeah, she will just decide that there's somebody to keep him busy. 
That because normally you know men, they are impatient when they are in the shop. Like, ah, what is it now? Let's go. If I want, I don't know if my friend sent me a picture once. No, from the U.S. He sat somewhere. He said, this is where the men sit, where, where the women shop. So, no, some shops have it that, like, you know, they, they come, they serve the husband's coffee, serve one. They serve that guys sit down here. They know that once they are at peace, they will sell. <laughs> and my, my, my friend does that. So, you go to, to the mall with his wife and his daughters. Of course, he gives them the credit card. He literally sit down there. They start chatting with me or calling me from there. Hey, what's going on? He said, my wife is in the mall. So they know that men get um, impatient. So I told my classmate, I said, if it's me, I said, my wife would say, ah, well, I have 30 extra minutes before the guy notices that. Um, I said, that's what she ah. Somebody said, ah, then you have an interesting marriage, something like that. I said, yes. I mean, naturally, I like peace of mind. I said, I can be explaining who I'm talking to later. So that is why I, I don't want to lose my peace of mind. I have to now dodge to go and answer phone call. Suddenly, when your phone rings, say, Bless, I'm pressed. You enter the bathroom, close the door. <laughs> I don't get it. You know, for me, you know, that, that is my own problem. You know, like, no, 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 no. I, I like my life the way it is. I don't have to explain anything. And before I even explain anything, I've been believed. I like it like that. Don't create unnecessary doubt in my head. Like, I know. Don't, don't, don't. Don't. For what now? For vanity. And that's just an aside to explain the fact, the meaning of the word worship in spirit. What does it mean to worship in spirit? Listen, people of God, it doesn't mean to raise your hands and then Holy Spirit came, brought, store, horror, show, speaking in tongues. It's good. It's a form of prayer. And it can be worship. It can be a worship language, as a matter of fact, because part of worship is praise. The only thing I want to say quickly about that, there are many of us, our praises are not acceptable. Why? Because they are part-time praises. God doesn't take lukewarm. Is that it's hot or it's cold? He doesn't like lukewarm. What is lukewarm? It is God would rather you don't praise him at all. You come to church, sit down, cross your leg, pick your teeth. What's happening? They are praising somebody, I don't know. It's, the Lord is okay with that. So you don't praise him in church, you don't praise him at home, you don't, play, you don't praise him at work, you don't praise him at, at play, you don't play, praise him at night, you don't praise him during the day. You are more acceptable to him than the person who comes to church. Oh Lord, you are the creator, the God of the universe. Ah, you created all things. Everything is under your power. Father, we worship you. We worship you. We praise you. We praise you. We praise you. Then it comes, it comes out from church. How can you have a president? Who's not aware? <laughs> the naira is falling in his hand against the dollar. When we elected him, it was 320 naira, 9,790 naira. Which kind of president is that? He can't guarantee food for the common man. The masses. We, the masses. Call that a president? No, no. A real president should be able to guarantee job for everybody. Should be able to guarantee food, guarantee food. What about security? We elected him to provide security. Listen, he's the chief security officer of the country. Anybody that dies is responsibility. God is checking whether he's still alive. <laughs> because my praise you have given to, given to another. That is why many of our praise are not accepted before him. 
You know, I keep on saying, please go and read your Bible well. The Hebrew, the Jewish mind, the people of God were taught to insert God into everything. You know, an arm robber stays on the way, two of them. A militant headman and kidnaps somebody. And you ask Samuel, or you ask Ezekiah, or you ask one of the priests of Israel. You know what he will say? The Lord gave him into their hands. That's how they write. These are criminals. They say the Lord gave him into their hands. Ha! Ah. See, the Lord packaged a human being and gave to criminals. That's how they reason. The way they were taught to understand is that if God did not command a thing, it can't happen. Modern day Pentecostals have ruined that. They say, no, the devil is a god of this world. So he controls what happens here. No, the Bible says he's the governor. Jesus is the governor amongst the nations. Read the whole Bible. I found out many of those people who say those things, they tell you that only the New Testament was written to the church. That's why they make the mistake. If they read what the Bible because the whole counsel of God. If they read the same Bible that Jesus read, that Paul read, that James read, that John read, they will stop saying such things. I don't have to teach on that now. But Hebrew man was taught, was taught to insert God into everything. You hear him say that the Lord opened her womb. I hope you're getting my point. You see, they inserted God into everything. That the Lord called for a famine upon the land. They inserted God into everything. He called for a famine upon the land. They will now say, he said, the president has appointed the person that will succeed him. God said, who is it that says a thing and it comes to pass? When the Lord has not commanded it. That is why David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. We are talking about true worship. Worship in spirit is everything I do, my motivation is to please the Lord. Part of it is simple. Walking in the will of God for your life. Walking in the plan of God for your life. It's worship. You cannot make another plan for your life. And listen, let me quickly say this. this. It is a wrong impression we have that if God planned it, it will feel good. Who planned the cross? Satan. Answer me now. Who planned the cross? The devil? The, the cross was very sweet. Jesus was angling for more. More cross, more cross, more cross in my life. No. When he saw the cross, he went to God and prayed, Father, can we talk about this? Did you really say that time that there's no other way apart from this cross? <laughs> Let me ask you a simple question. Who sent Joseph into the house of Potiphar? Give me one word. God. Was he his brothers? No. Who sent him as a slave? Answer one word. God. Who sent him into prison? God. Who brought him out of prison? God. Do you know, we can narrate it another way. I could ask who sent him into Egypt, you say his brothers, and you wouldn't be wrong, except you have learned deeper things. I could ask you who sent him into prison, you will say Mrs. Potiphar, or Potiphar himself. I could ask you who brought him out of jail, you will answer me, Pharaoh, and that cup bearer. And you wouldn't be wrong, except that the Bible says clearly, he sent a man ahead of them. We know it was God that sent him into Egypt. Now, what am I going to say? The impression many people think they have is that if God plans something, it will be good and rosy. God can send you to the house of Laban simply because Laban is wicked. 
Their kinder relatives say, no, I want labor. Why? He will squeeze you and bring the juice of destiny out of you. Which orange did you ever extract the vitamin C and it's still looking the same? Which orange did you ever extract, extract the, the fibers and it's still looking the same? Which orange did you ever extract the juice and it's still looking the same? Would you rather have orange that's looking nice or the one that the juice has been extracted into your system? I hope you're getting my point. What is worship? Is to say to the Lord, whatever you plan for my life, that I will fulfill. Doesn't mean it's nice. Oh, I wish you were there. Our last convention in Benin, when Pastor Corey decided to address the issue of domestic violence. And he made a statement. He said, don't trivialize other people's devotions. Let me, hey, sir, can you remember the words he used that day? I can, do you remember? I remember that you tweeted, you, you, you put it on your status. Yes, he said something like that. That people make vows, say, please, don't joke with their vows. Yes. Okay, no, I, I got the right words. He said, don't interfere with people's godly consecration. He was saying, hey, 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 what do you call it? Domestic violence, walk out of faith, abusive marriage. Pastor Christ said, what? That's what everybody's been saying. He said, do you know what the person's trying to, why the person's enduring? Do you know why? He said, if somebody consecrates herself for something, you cannot use what you don't like to judge whether it is right or wrong. Because, you know, when that matter happened in the country, the Jesus everywhere is walk out of an abusive marriage. I said, look at how people are ruining things. Tunde Bakari will tell you his story. I can say it because he used to tell it. You know him. Everything from the pulpit. <laughs> yes, he will tell you his story. And one day his wife picked boiling oil and dared him to come closer. You know what they call oil? They fry dodo. The husband walked inside. The woman picked herself. God, come, pastor. See whether you go preach on Sunday. <laughs> yes. I have many stories to tell. They are alive and they are well to the end. They solved their problem. They did. Listen. Marriages can have troubles. Troubles can be solved. Let's bear that in mind. I'm not saying something here. Let's not make it look like doing the will of God is always sweet and rosy. Sometimes doing the will of God is hard. In the book, God Smuggler, Brother Andrew told the story of one couple he met, I think in Bulgaria, one of those difficult countries. He got to that village. All the young men had escaped. Most people had gone. They've gone to, they've managed to find their way into more prosperous countries. These people were suffering. Communism, you know how communism impoverished people. They were poor. So after talking with them, everybody had gone. They were good Christian people. And he asked them, he asked them that, why have you people not left like everybody else? I mean, which made a lot of sense. Think about it. It made a lot of sense. And the, woman, the man looked at him like, leave? Who will stay behind to pray? That was the answer. Let me, put, let me add my own words. Somebody has to end this scourge. Somebody has to end this oppression. Communism must come to an end. Somebody has to do it. And they are not going to do it from their comfort zone. They have to be touched with the feeling of the infirmities of the land. They were suffering, but they said we have been called to pray and redeem this land. 
iron curtain didn't fall because he got tired of hanging. Even when God plans something, he still raises people to birth those things. Like I tweeted the other day, that God wants you to have something, you tell you, go and fight for it. Uh-huh. Did you read your Bible? There's a promised land. You bring them out of Egypt. So go and fight the giants. God wants to know whether you want it or you don't want it. They did not promise from the beginning that Jesus will come. Then why did he raise Simeon to pray? They did not promise that Jesus will come. Why did Anna pray for all those years until she was an old woman having lived as a widow for a very long time? And listen, if you saw, let me be honest with you, if I saw that Anna today, it's now that God is helping me. But before I learned those things, I'm sure I would not have taken this Anna woman seriously. I'll have passed her by in the tongue with all these spiritual people that are feeling too spiritual with themselves. I, I probably would have felt so. That her maids have gone to remarry since. She's here offering sacrifice every day and chanting. I, I hope you know that Anna was not speaking in tongues. Anna was not, she wasn't seeing vision. Let me tell you how Anna used to pray. There are a few verses of scripture they knew. They chanted them again and again. They chanted for the redemption of Israel. They chanted for the land to be redeemed. They chanted for the Messiah to come. They were chants. They were chants they had. So Anna will come to the temple, offer a few sacrifices, burn incense if it was allowed, and sit down there and chant. And chant. And God was recording it in heaven. These days, eh, I like, I, I, I take spiritual, when I see small spiritual things, eh, I take them seriously. So once I was in Portacourt, one pastor came in the rain. I was in the vehicle. I was coming to Enugu. So I was waiting for the vehicle. I think it was a bus. Pastor came and brought a book, said a standing book, with an umbrella over his head in the rain. You know, you were marketing books. You know, these people were there dancing and playing and begging. No. He was marketing books. So he wrote the book. It says 400 naira. I looked at the book. I was once said it would be much cheaper than that because of my own bad behavior. I hope you're getting my point. But what I was saying, this is a man of God. He said, this is how I put food on the table. I don't think I ever read that book, but I bought it. I gave him 500. I was looking for change. I said, no, don't worry. He didn't know that. Why? I bought the book because it's my bro. It's my bro. It's my brother. We're in this business together. If I had more presence of mind, I should have bought the book for 5,000. I won't tell him why. So my spirit said I should buy it for 5,000. I won't tell my spirit. If he said my spirit, you know you're a Christian. Let him go and give testimony in church. That one man, I don't know where he came from, he bought my book for 10,000. <laughs> That's the mistake I should have done that. I take something seriously. One day I went to see somebody long ago, one woman, I said, he bring out her book, tell him what the Lord has been, and her English was very bad. The book was badly arranged, badly printed. As a woman was talking that day, I bought one. My friend was looking like me, like, what? Thank you. I said, both of us died today. She wrote a book. I never wrote one. Leave that. <laughs> That's what I told my friend. I said, me, I had died today. You, know, you think I'm anointed. You think I know how to print it. I know how to write it. I had not written any book. I said, that woman has written a book. You, you have not written any one. I was telling myself. So I told my friend, That's why I'm buying it. I gave her money, bought the book. I never read it. And I just came through it. Bad arrangement, bad grammar. I don't even know what he was trying to say. But I bought it out of respect for her office. Serious. I'm not emphasizing the fact that God, you are working in God's plan for your life does not mean everything will be smooth and easy. Bear it in mind. 
Because people just believe that if you were really doing what God called you to do, everything would be easy. No, not necessarily. You have grace to carry your... You, okay, let's use Paul as an example. You don't shipwreck before. You enter a boat, you not, not reach where they go. If it was only one time, it's even good. Then you enter a boat again. No. Life was not easy for Paul in that sense of being easy. However, he would not have wanted to do any other thing. He said, none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life as there unto myself. That's what it means to really, really worship. I'll talk about that again next time because I need to go over it again. Periodically, I go over it. How do you walk in the will of God for your life? Because real worship is to serve God every moment. There are expressions of worship. There are times you bust out in praise and you put up your hands and give the Lord praise. That is an expression of worship. But like I said earlier, just praising God without fully praising, without, you know, praise that you just know as a song, not a personal understanding of the character of God, is not acceptable. Because I found that most Christians these days, they praise Buhari a lot of times. Buhari being our current head of state. And praise God part-time. Praise him in church. When you discuss the economy, why are we having problems? Buhari. Let me tell you how Christians should say it. The Lord has broken the staff of bread. The Lord will show us mercy. It will happen. You know, like I said last time, inside the Lord everywhere. He jammed that car. The Lord didn't let him see the other one coming. Just say it like that. They say, yeah, you know, the devil is not the devil. When the devil wants to do things, he has to go and offer petitions. The Bible calls them accusations before the judgment throne of God. People have said, no, that is how it is. There are no two gods there. There's one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Let's bow down our heads. And once again commit ourselves to true worship. Let's bow down our heads and once again commit ourselves to true worship.